Welcome to Tabernacle Talks, the podcast where we gather to explore the heart and soul of Collinsville Baptist Tabernacle. I'm your host, Pastor Gary Boyd, and I'm thrilled to have you join us for these insightful conversations. Each episode, Tabernacle Talks delves into stories, teachings, and experiences that shape our faith community. We bring you interviews and discussions with our fellow church members, leaders, and special guests who share a deep connection with the Collinsville Baptist Tabernacle. From the comfort of your homes, cars, or wherever you're listening, we invite you to embark on a journey of faith, discovery, and community. Together, we'll explore a wide range of topics that are of significance to our church family. We'll delve into scripture, seeking wisdom and insight for our daily lives. We'll hear stories of transformation, faith journeys, and the powerful ways God is working in the lives of our fellow believers. In each episode, we'll also discuss practical ways we can live out our faith, serving our community, and making a positive impact in the world around us. We hope to inspire and equip you to live a life filled with purpose and devotion. So, whether you're a longtime member of Collinsville Baptist Tabernacle, or a new visitor seeking spiritual nourishment, Tabernacle Talks is here to encourage, uplift, and connect us all. Join us as we gather around the digital table, sharing stories, exploring the depths of our faith, and fostering a sense of togetherness that extends beyond the walls of our church. Get ready for engaging conversations, heartfelt moments, and a deeper understanding of what it means to be a part of Collinsville Baptist Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning in to Tabernacle Talks. Let's begin this extraordinary journey together. Today on the Tabernacle Talks podcast, we're joined by one of our missionaries, Brother Stephen Trimble, missionary to the country of the Philippines. Brother Trimble, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. We uh, have been so blessed to be able to follow Brother Trimble's ministry for the last several years, and uh, God's been doing a great work in their uh, service there in the Philippines. Uh, They're currently home on uh, uh, furlough, but getting ready to head back uh, to the Philippines very soon. And uh, we've got just a couple of questions that we'd like to talk to Brother Trimble about, and know that the the discussion today will be a blessing to you. Uh, So thanks again for listening. Uh, Brother Trimble, congratulations on completing your first term uh, there in the Philippines. Uh, could you share with us some of uh, some of the initial motivations uh, and inspirations that you experienced that led you uh, to embark on this mission, and uh, maybe how some of your expectations may have evolved uh, during your time on the field? Yeah, um, you know, gr- I grew up in the Philippines, first of all, since I was three months old, so I had that experience of growing up in the culture and uh, learning the language already. So um, it wasn't a hard thing to surrender to go back to the Philippines because it's it's home. Yeah. You know? It's where I grew up. So, um, but um, talking about uh, expectations, uh, I, I, I figured that since I grew up there, since I knew the culture, had friends there, that when I got there, I'd be a piece of cake, right? But it's different living in uh, a different country when you're a child um, to going back there as a father and mm-hmm. then also a husband. Yeah. The dynamics are totally different. And so uh, that was a learning experience because when you're a child, it's carefree, right? You're just there to have fun. You're enjoying, you know, uh, playing in the rice fields and, <laughs> and catching fish and all that kind of stuff. 
But when you're an adult and you have a family, there's a lot more expectations on that. And so uh, when I when we arrived there, um, it was a little bit different than I had planned even. And of course, it was during COVID-19. So there was um, the Philippines. Uh, first of all, it was still shut down and we had to get a special visa to get into the country. And so when we got there, uh, we had a quarantine for like seven days in a hotel as a family. (laughs) And so we were in this hotel room and, uh, which actually was a nice hotel room. We had a lady who, um, works, uh, with, with missionaries on getting their visas and all that kind of stuff. So she's a huge, huge blessing. She got the hotel room for us. Um, but it was, it was an, uh, uh, really challenging because, you know, my expectation is we come in, we, we get to work, but, no, you gotta you gotta go quarantine for seven days in this hotel, and you can't bring in any food. You gotta eat the food that they give you, and so every morning at like six a.m., they put these boxes outside of our door, and in those boxes would be food that we were supposed to eat. And what's weird was everything smelled the same, regardless of what they put in the box. Oh, no. It was always it always smelled the same, and it was the first time my kids um, ever saw like a whole fish. So one of the boxes had like rice and then this steamed fish with like this cream sauce on top of it. But it was the whole fish, eyes, tail, everything. And so when I popped open that lid, the boys just started screaming running across <laughs> the room um, uh, saying, oh, it's looking at me. It's looking at me. So uh, so that was a little bit different, you know, not what we expected at all. Uh, but but the Lord blessed and we were able to get through uh, that and... Um, when we finally were able to fly down to the island that we're working on, it, uh, our flights got canceled because it was a, a typhoon was going through the area, and it was a serious typhoon. We didn't realize it at the time, but it it destroyed some cities. Like it was really bad. But so we got delayed in that. But we finally got there, and um, um, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to get a, a house that we can relax in and. And that was not the case. We had to live, excuse me, we had to live in like uh, uh, three tiny apartments side by side. Oh, wow. On a second second story. So it was an apartment building that had five apartments on the bottom, then five up top. And so the three in the middle were open. And that was the only housing that we could find. Because in the little town of Malawi, the, the housing market was non-existent. There was just nothing. And so we stayed in these three tiny little apartments and um, the first apartment was our kitchen and schoolroom. The second one was our bathroom and bedrooms. And then the third one was my office and there was a guest room in there. So that was totally different than we had imagined. Um, but then for the first six months, of course, we worked alongside veteran missionary Bruce Rice, which he was a huge help to help us get all of our uh, things that we needed, uh, you know, to furnish our apartment and stuff like that. But um, for the first six months, we really, we really weren't like we didn't dive in because uh, Brother Ice also suggested, hey, just take the six months to to adjust, help your family adjust. Of course, we uh, we went on, you know, soul winning on Saturdays like like normal, but we we weren't um, plugged in as much as we are now. So that was good. That was good for our family because it was a little bit of a stretching time too, going from the big city of Oklahoma City to a small town of 40,000 people in the middle of a valley surrounded by rice fields is totally different. 
And even like going to the grocery store, it's non-air conditioned. There's cockroaches crawling on the ground. It's dirty. So, <laughs> so there's just a lot of things you got to switch your mind. You know, it takes a little bit. Um, also, another thing that kind of was interesting was um, I thought I would have no problem adjusting back to speaking Cebuano, which is the dialect that we speak in Mindanao. It took me a few months to get back into it because you use your tongue a little bit different. And so I felt like my tongue was like tied when I would try to speak Cebuano. Uh, so that that was a little bit harder uh, than, than I was uh, expecting it. Uh, to be, but after a few months, then I could start preaching in, you know, mostly Cebuano. And um, when we moved to the island, to the city of Dipolo, which is about an hour and a half north of us, really got plugged in into the Bible college, started teaching four to five classes uh, a quarter, which was, I felt like I benefited from it more than the students did. <laughs> But uh, uh, then, you know, having different responsibilities and different ministries really kind of started to get, okay, this is what I was expecting and doing, um, you know, not not what happened the first six months when we got there. So, I mean, as, but as a missionary, you just got to be flexible, right? You don't, you don't know what the Lord has for you, um, um, how, what, what's all, what's all going to happen. And even, even as we move, Lord willing, in December to the different town, I don't even I don't know what's going to happen, but the Lord has always um, provided everything, shown exactly what we we're supposed to do or what we need to do, provides everything that we need, and so it's just trusting, saying, "Lord, I know this is where I'm supposed to go, but I'm, I'm this is what I'm going to expect, but I know you're you might change this real quick, you know." So you just got to have that mindset when you go there. How do you feel that, um, you know, your wife and your boys, how are they adjusting to life in the Philippines? Do they, yeah. do they feel like that's home or do they still feel like America's home? How do you think they're doing? Yeah, the boys are, I'll do the boys first. The boys are, are really, they, they've done such a good job. Um, they feel like that's home. In, in fact, our, our middle son, I have three sons, uh, my middle son, Grayson, uh, two weeks ago, he said, hey, come I wish we could live in the Philippines and here at the same time. <laughs> and we're like, okay, why? And he said, well, I miss our dogs, and I, miss, I like ICs because we don't get ICs <laughs> in, in the Philippines. No, but Grayson has always said, can we go home now? Can we go home now? And even Landon, they want to go home. They want to go back to the Philippines, which I'm super thankful Yeah. because I don't want them to live there wanting to be here in America. Right. And even me and Whitney's heart, we're, we're, we're excited to go back because that feels like home. I was reading um, one of Bob Hughes' mm -hmm. books um, that a guy wrote about his life. And um, one of the things that Mrs. Hughes said when they came back on furlough, I think really communicates how I think most missionaries feel when they come back on furlough. And sh somebody asked her, so how does it feel? Does, does America feel like home? And she said, well, I feel like we're on a camping trip and we're having so much fun and we're having a good time. But is a camping trip. You know, you, there's always that, that, that feeling inside that, okay, I'm ready to go back. Right. And so that's what we feel like now. Like we're here, we feel like we're on like a, like a vacation, although it's, it's not vacation, it's hard work, Yeah. but we kind of that feeling of halfway through your vacation, you're like, okay, I think I'm ready to go home. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're feeling. So I, I'm really thankful for that. Now, the kids are having a different experience than even when I grew up growing up there in the 90s 
um, most Filipino kids did not know how to speak English. And so they would speak Cebuano. And, and if I wanted to play with them, you know, whatever it may be, uh, um, playing with marbles or, or whatever, I had to learn how to understand Cebuano, how to speak Cebuano in order to communicate with them. But the kids now, because of technology, because of YouTube, TV, um, most of the kids now are excellent English speakers. Wow. And so my kids really didn't have a hard time of feeling isolated because every single child that they meet, I say every single, most children that they meet all know how to speak English really well. And what's interesting, when I was listening to one of the kids talking to my son, and not only are they getting English, but they're also getting English humor. Because hmm. the Cebuano humor or Filipino humor and American humor is totally different. But these kids, because of watching the shows and YouTube and all that stuff, they're getting even American humor, which he told my son a joke. And I thought, that's that's American humor. And he thought it was funny. Huh. So, wow. So the kids are, you know, they don't, I don't think they're feeling that isolation or or I don't understand anybody because these kids all speak English so they're doing really good Whitney the first that first time in Malawi that first six months was really hard like I said switching from a big town to a small I mean a big city to a small little town was really different shopping was different um, we didn't have a vehicle for the first three or four months and so um, it was an adjustment. And then living in those three small apartments was really stressful for her. Because, you know, home is where you let down your hair. You can relax. But for some reason, those three apartments, we could not relax. So when we got home, we didn't feel like we could relax at home. The kids were maybe in a different apartment. or So, you know, she's trying to cook, but then she can't keep an eye on the kids because they're on the other side. Or the parts were so small, we couldn't buy a couch. So we, we, we bought this, like, cheap bamboo um, couch and, and a, no padding or anything. So, like, you sat down and it was not comfortable at all. So that was very stressful for her. And she had some hard times. But whenever we moved and God provided us to move into this to rent this actual house, um, it was different. It was home. You know, it was it was is comfortable. Something that she could feel comfortable with, knowing that this is our home, and 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 uh, she can let down her hair and do whatever she needs to do. So um, that first six months was very stressful for her. Yeah, yeah. And and we have a nice grocery store where we're at. You know, it's air conditioned. It's not. There's no cockroaches no, no on cockroaches, the floor, yeah. right? Uh, and then we have a vehicle now, so that yes. was a huge blessing. That makes a huge difference. Yeah. One of the things that was real stressful for her was when we were in Malawi. There was a children's doctor, but she was not good at all. And so, um, for example, uh, our son Carson, he got ear infections a lot when he was little, and we knew that he had an ear infection. We took her to that took him to that doctor and she was like oh no he's fine he doesn't have ear infection and we're like uh he's had like four and i we know what the symptoms are and he's yeah. tugging at the ear and so with us not having a vehicle we couldn't the, the closest doctor was an hour and a half away so that feeling of if something happens to my child and i can't i don't even have access to be able to take them to the right doctor mm-hmm. 
was really stressful. And at the time we were borrowing the other missionaries, other vehicle, if it was available. So it just wasn't an ideal situation. It, but we're, we look back on that and we're thankful because it did stretch us, yeah. right? It taught us to have faith in the Lord, just to believe that he's in total control. He can take care of our kids better than we can. And so um, we're thankful for that opportunity, but it was not easy. Yeah, Definitely doesn't not sound easy. Like <laughs> you know, the uh, Philippines, uh, known for being diverse and a very culturally rich country, uh, but that presents unique challenges and unique opportunities. Could you describe some of perhaps your most memorable experiences or lessons that you've learned during your first term and how have they shaped your perspective on missionary work? Yeah, and I've mentioned mentioned this a little bit, but um, I think the thing that I've learned the most is I, I like to be in control. I like to have a plan. I like to to know what the next steps are. But during this first term, we really had to say, okay, Lord, I don't know what to do. You're going to have to provide a way. You're going to have to provide housing. You're going to have to help provide to to move, you know. So when we moved from Malawi to the Philipp- uh, to Dipolog City, uh, like I said, it's an hour and a half over the mountain to the coast. And um, we took trips there every week, every Monday, to to go look for a house. And I mean, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but in the Philippines, it's a big deal. So you got to find a house, number one, is big enough for you. Secondly, it's in a nice neighborhood, not like... Our nice neighbors there and nice neighbors here are totally different. Yeah. But somewhere that's safe, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a, as a American family in a island that is, has a lot of Muslim influence, Muslim mm-hmm. terrorism and all that stuff. You got to find a, a, a nice place that's, that you can feel protected right. and feel safe in. So we, every Monday for, I don't know, two months we, we would drive to Dipolog City and we literally would go down each road starting one side of the city looking for a house that looked abandoned, that looked like, I mean, uh, nobody was living there. And we did find a few, but we could never figure out who the owner was, how to contact them. The neighbors didn't know how to contact them. One house that looked really nice, but you could tell nobody was living. The grass was overgrown and all that. Um the owner was in Canada or something like that, and there was no way to reach them. So um, we we just, for weeks, and we were just praying, Lord, where where are we going to find a house? you you got to help us find a house somewhere. And we'd find something, and, but it was too small, you know. And, and I mean, Americans are, are bigger than Filipinos. So <laughs> for Filipinos, they would have been like, oh, this is great. But for Americans, it's like, no, this is tiny. We can't do this. Well, and for those of you that don't know Brother Trimble, <laughs> he's not a short guy. How tall are you? I'm 6'5". Yeah. yeah. So, um, but, I mean, after weeks and weeks of doing that, we, we found finally a duplex. And um, it, was an, it was a house that they, they decided to remodel, but then they split it down the middle and and um so we found that and we couldn't find anything else and so it was smaller than we were wanting but we're like well we just gotta this we don't have no choice we gotta move next week so i asked them well how much is is this side and he was like thirty five thousand pages was like six hundred dollars a month for just this one side 
which in the Philippines, that's that's a lot of money. That's crazy. But we're like, well, we have no choice. We have nothing else. So we, I told him, okay, we'll do it. We didn't do any contract yet or anything. It was just a verbal, verbal um, acceptance. I, I called Brother Rice, and Brother Rice, we found something. And he's well, how much is it? And I said, how much it is? And he was like, that's ridiculous. Oh, like, no. that is ridiculous. So he said, well, I know the owners of the, um, of the, uh, what do you call it? The, like, uh, hardware store downtown. And he said, go, go, go find, I can't remember her name, like Mom Emma or something like that. And at, tell her that you're, you know me and that you're looking for a house. And she might have some contact who has a house. So it was like a last thing. Like, okay, if this doesn't go through, then we just have to get the other, that little duplex. So we, I drive there, I go in and, and there's this lady behind the, behind the, you know, the desk. And I'm thinking, okay, this is her. So I go up and I introduce myself. I'm. A missionary i'm i'm with brother rice and oh she's like okay i know brother rice and i was like i'm trying to find a house do you have do you know anybody who has a rental house or anything and she was like yeah i do and so she gave me her name and the number she just called her and uh, her name was josephine morrison which i thought okay that's an interesting last name that's english so I, I call her and she's like, yeah, I have a house, but it's not available for the next two months. The, the, the people are moving out in two months, not not this month. And but she's like, well, let me see if they they want to move out earlier. But the contract says you got to give a three month notice and they, they have it. So there it's going to be two more months. But she said, if you guys can move in immediately, then I might just let them move out. So she went and talked and come to find out the house was on the same street of the church, just a half a mile down the road. I mean, perfect location. The people moved out that week. We moved in the next week. I mean, the Lord just worked it all out. Come to find out she married a guy from the UK. He died two years later or early uh, earlier because of cancer and so she was a widow but but what's really neat about that she gets westerners she understands how we think and so she's been such a good landlord because she understands okay you're going to want to do some upgrades to the house you want to change some things a little bit and so she told us you can do whatever you want to the house just let me know and it's been when we moved in the house is like dirty yellow inside the paint and so we told her we're going to repaint it and she's like that's fine i'll pay for the paint so wow i mean she's been awesome awesome landlord and uh but but that's it like yeah. the lord you know it was the last it was the last minute but the lord just provides everything and it mm-hmm. was significantly cheaper than that other duplex and much bigger mm-hmm. so the lord knows what we need and he he provides it. Sometimes we just got to be patient yes. and just realize, okay, Lord, uh, it's not the timing that I want. It's I wanted it earlier. You know, I wanted to know all the steps, but that's what I've learned the most. Is just the Lord. The Lord has you there. He He called us there. He'll take care of us. 
You know, I don't have to worry about it. God will take care of us. So even moving to the Golan, I have no idea how we're going to get our stuff there. I have no idea where we're going to live. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But because of the experience last time moving, it's like, okay, Lord, you did it for us then. You're going to have to do it for us now. Yeah. And so it's it's nice because it takes the pressure off myself and it puts all the pressure on God, which mm-hmm. does he feel pressure? No. But, <laughs> but you know, he it's like, okay, Lord, you just got to do it. And yeah. I'm just going to wait to see what you do. So that's that's probably one of the biggest things uh, I've learned uh, since this this first term. It is really cool how God uh, builds our faith, like with like with building blocks, mm-hmm. you know, and different situations that uh, we find ourselves in, and we have to learn to trust Him. And it is it's like He's preparing us for for whatever comes next, and right. we don't know what it is, right? But we do learn that we can trust Him, right? He's got it. Right, yeah. which even getting to the Philippines during COVID, that was an that was a miracle, right? And it, and it took me. I mean, I was getting mad. I was getting upset. Like, okay, Lord, we we finished our deputation in a year and eight months, but now we're we're stuck. Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on? I don't understand what's going on. But it's like, hey, I got you through deputation through COVID nineteen. I'll get you into the country, yeah. and he did. You know, but sometimes we just forget all that and we start to worry about it again. It's like, wait a minute, he took care of us back then. Why can't he take care of us now? Right. So, yeah, it just, just builds your faith for sure. Yes, it does. Um, speaking of building things, um, any any ministry, local, uh, foreign, uh, is building connections and building trust within a new community is such a significant part of all ministry work, but especially missionary work. Uh, are there any uh, touching or impactful stories that you could share that kind of illustrate the relationships that you've forged and the impact that your service has had on the people that you've been serving with? Yeah. Well, you know, I told those two stories and during uh, when I preached yesterday here at church, and and uh, those two were probably the most impactful stories that we have. But um, what's nice thing about being in the Philippines is the Filipino people love Americans. And so they love talking to Americans. They love talking to me. And so that's a huge opportunity to be able to make those connections with people. Um, but a lot of the times, um, the people that I've had the privilege to leading to the Lord, um, come from the within the church members it's usually their friends and their families and and whenever they bring in a foreigner hey he wants to talk to you well they're like hey this is awesome you know i remember um, going with one of the men in the church and he he plays soccer so he has a lot of friends and um one of his friends was a bodybuilder you know and uh had his life all together i mean he he was good at sports. He was a bodybuilder, had a wife and kids. And so he had the perfect life, right? Well, his marriage got kind of shaky and, and she ended up leaving him. And then he got sick. And, and, and what was once his pride of his body became to get really frail and weak. So he got depressed. And so uh, his friend, who's our church member, <clears throat> Um, had me come with him on a Saturday and say, hey, okay, let's go Let's go to Michael's house. Let's go talk to him. This is what's happening in his life, and his life is totally different than what he expected it to be. So we went there, and he was asleep in his house, and we woke him up, and he came and sat down, and, and, and uh, Brother Watts, the man who's, who I was with, he said, hey, I, I have this missionary, and I want him to talk to you. I want him to tell you something about 
about salvation. And because this guy had lost everything, I mean, even his own body, he was skinny. And he, you could tell there were still those, those uh, marks of this guy used to be real fit, real big. But his body was totally different than what he, you know, wanted it to be. And so he got to this place where he's just broken. You know, and because of that, he was he was willing to listen, mm-hmm. which I think I believe if if it was a if he was still in that other circumstance, he probably wouldn't wouldn't want to listen to me. But the fact that he's at his at at, at the end, you know, um, he he was interested. He wanted to listen. So I was privileged to share with him the gospel, and he listened the entire time. And at the end, he understood. He bowed his head and accepted Jesus as Amen. his savior. And we came back and visited him, and he understood. He still. He still believed, and he answered all the right questions, and he knew he was saved. There was another guy, same same guy. Brother Watts is one of the men in the church. His family, he's they're awesome people. He has so many connections. It's really insane how many people he knows in the city. Even his wife, him and my wife would, I mean, his wife and my wife would go out and go to lunch or something like that, and my wife would say that everywhere she goes, she knows people. You know, and they know him, so they have good testimony in the in the city. It's kind of the same thing. He has a friend who got a stroke, and now he can't leave his house. His wife left him because of the stroke, and so you know he's living with with one of his kids, and his kids are taking care of him. And so he said, "But see, well, I think we should go talk to him, go go witness to him. We've tried to before, but I think this time it might be different." So we did. We we went to his house and he sat out there in the. He was already sitting out there in the front front porch. So we pulled up a chair and began to talk to him, began to get saved. I mean, be, began to explain to him the gospel, and he did the same thing. Bowed his head, accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, and afterwards he said, "I'm so glad you came because if you didn't come, I would have never known how to be saved." And and so I think God uses that people in people's lives to break them down because we're so we're so prideful, right? We think we think we have everything. We don't need anything. But I think God has a way to to break us, to get us to that point of humility, to realize, hey, I don't have this all figured out. I need I need someone's help, and that's when the gospel can come and change our lives. So yeah. that, and then Old Rico and and the the funeral story, um, you know, the, those were probably the most impactful uh, stories that we would have on this first term. I'm looking forward to what God does in this next term, you know, going to the town of Tagulawan, uh, which I, I like to talk about Tagulawan for a little bit. I, I didn't I didn't talk about it yesterday during preaching, but Tagulawan is a town of about 90,000 people located 30 minutes outside the large city of Cagayan de Oro, which is a 1 million plus people. What's neat is the Golowan is um, a city that has all, it's an industrial part of the town. So you have Del Monte that's there, Dole that's also there, you have Nestle. So all these huge steel companies, oil companies, all these big, big, um, you know, um, corporations and then where they produce and pack and everything like that. So um, because of that, the government is building 25 towers, condo units, and each tower is going to have 13 floors of condos. So that's 25 of those. So they're, they're, they're expecting to finish that at the end of next year. They already broke ground. They're already starting to build that. And so they're expecting 60,000 people to move to Tagolan, and they're, club, they're going to start calling it a global city. Because the Golan is also the international port 
is located right there. And so um, there's going to be a mass influx of people coming to that area. And so I just, I'm excited to see, you know, um, how how we can have an impact, kind of get there before all that happens, get a church established, and then just watch the goal one explode with people. And right now it's a town, but they're saying once those towers get done, it's going to become a city. And then when cities come, more opportunities, more businesses start to come up. And it's the it's the road that goes up into the mountains. It's the main highway goes through that city. So I'm excited to see even how God's going to use us to reach those people and more stories, hopefully, Lord willing, when we come back next for a little, how, how, how the gospel has changed people's lives there at the Global One. It's, it's exciting. I'm so excited. Well, I mean, it sounds like such a unique opportunity because so often when you talk to missionaries, you hear about how they're trying to, uh, I don't, for lack of a better term, break in right. to an established community. Right. And, you know, it sounds like what you're talking about is you have an opportunity to go in and kind of be a part of the community from the get-go. Right. And right. be there before the influx comes. And sure. So that you are a part of what you know, right. this area it's sees. A part of Part of it growing. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's it's incredible. It's really neat. I'm really excited. But I could see how works. that would provide some, you know, uncertainty of, you know, what's it going to be like? What are, where are we sure. going to live? How are we going to handle this mass of people coming here from sure. all parts of the Philippines, all mm-hmm. parts of the world, mm-hmm. and have an opportunity to reach them with the gospel? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you were telling about some of the, the challenges, too. Um of being there in the Philippines, and I know the uh, the Muslim influence uh, mm-hmm. makes the news a sure. lot. Yeah. Um, you know, is that a is that a a recurring issue for you guys? I mean, something that that impacts your daily life, or is it is it other parts? It's in other parts of the country, so you don't face it as much. Sure. Uh, how's that affecting y'all? Um, where we're at right now is closer to the Muslim parts of the Philippines. So there's certain areas that we can't go to. Like if you usually they're in the mountains. So we try not to go through the mountains. If we do, we take the major highway and we don't travel at night. So, but in Dipolog city, um, there had the last kidnapping that was there was an Italian man. He owned a pizzeria and, uh, he got kidnapped in broad daylight in 2017, got drugged out of his store, thrown into a minivan, taken to the ocean, and they got in a boat and took him to the Muslim side of the island. So it's definitely like in the back of your mind. And so you try to be real careful. Like my wife does not go anywhere by herself. She can't, either I go with her or some of the Filipino ladies in the church go with her. Um, my kids don't go anything anywhere without us being there. So, um, it is something that you got to be careful about, especially on that side of the island. Now, where we're moving to is a large, close to a large city. It's northern on the coast, so we're even farther from the Muslim area. So that that makes it a little bit more, uh, um, you know, pe- gives us a little bit more peace of mind. But there is a Muslim pocket right there across the bridge from where we're going to be at. And so I've talked to some people and I've gotten mixed reviews. <laughs> you know, some would say, oh, no, they're they're no longer there. They moved out because of the city growing. Uh, but some are like, oh, you know, they're still there. You still got to be careful. So I don't know exactly how that's going to work. But if, if anything, that we just won't go over there. 
if if we're going to try to evangelize, we'll send you know the, the Filipino people to go there. Um, but being closer to the city, most of the Muslims that would be there are more of the liberal Mus- Muslims. They don't care that we're there. You know, they they're fine with us being there. So that that doesn't impact us now. Um, with me um, in the ministry that we have there, I get invited a lot to go preach at different churches and stuff like that. So a lot of times it's in the mountains, and so you got to really be careful traveling. I don't travel by myself. I always bring somebody with me. And this first term, it was me and Brother Rice. We always went together. So that's something that um, you got to be careful. You know, you can't just go anywhere, wherever. You just got to got to think through some things, and, and especially at night. You just don't travel at night. Yeah. So that that would be the Muslim side. But, but as far as, like, things that we experienced, hardships that we experienced, of course, for Whitney, it was adjusting to that small town. For me, this is a little, just be a little bit transparent here. Um, I, I that first six months, I went through kind of a little. De- I say a little. I went through a depression, and um, there was when we got on the plane from Oklahoma City. Um, I started getting getting this the thoughts that I, I was kind of surprised that I was thinking, like, "What are you doing? Why are you taking your family halfway around the world? Are you insane? Why why are you doing this? You know those kind of thoughts, those doubts that came in, and I was kind of shocked. I was like, "Why am I thinking this? You know, I know that God's called us here, so why am I thinking that?" But for the next six months, I started having like weird like heart palpitations and panic attacks and all these different things. And I got to a point where I literally thought I was having a heart attack. And so I, I went to the emergency room thinking I had a heart attack, but it was just a panic attack. So it was it almost felt like there was this spiritual oppression um, attacking my mind because I would even say that I, I didn't go insane, but I my thoughts were just out of control. And even how I felt physically just seemed off. And so I had to, I had to, I reached out to my pastor. I reached out to some of my other friends, my accountability partners and our sending team and just said, hey, this is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling. I'm, I, I feel depressed. I feel like my something's wrong with me and my body. Like, uh, why am I having these heart palpitations and all these other pains that I'm feeling? And so I talked to Brother Rice, I was there, and so they, they all helped me get over that. And what's really neat is during the time, it was serious. I, I, was, I was scared, and, and I, I was like, what's going on? But what's re- really neat is after the Lord helped me get through that, I then got into contact to multiple people who were experiencing the same things. And th- through that, I could connect with them and say, hey, brother, I know exactly what you're feeling. I and 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 if you don't go through it, you can kind of you can have that mindset of oh you're just being a sissy, just just toughen up, you know, I'll just 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 pull up your britches and and get to work. But when you go through something like that, it feels so real. And so I met multiple people that went through the same things and I was able to help them get through it. Say, brother, I know exactly what you're feeling like. This is what helped me. You know, uh, meditate on these verses. You know, uh, uh, I read a book by Jim Berg called God is More Than Enough. And that was a huge help to realize that all these problems stem from unbelief. You, you have unbelief in your heart somewhere that was just causing you to worry, to have anxiety and all these different things. And so meditating on God's word, reminding yourselves, even out loud, it sounds so weird, 
But even I would get to a point where I'd have a panic attack and I have to speak to myself, say, Stephen, God is more than enough for you. Yeah. He he can take care of everything. Don't worry about this. Don't don't have these anxieties and fears because God's more than enough for you. He he promised in his word and you think through all those different verses. It just helped you to calm down and and, and to realize, no, God's got this. He, he's in control. So I'm thankful that I went through that, although, you know, I didn't want to. Of course. But I, I'm thankful I went through it because I've helped so many people even after that. Yeah. You know, and even here in the States, um, people would, I, I was able to help somebody here in the States who was having panic, panic attacks and everything like that. So that was one of the hardest things on that first term was just that. And I feel it. I I honestly believe it was a spiritual attack on my mind because the number one thing I wanted to do was quit. Because in my mind, if I quit and I go back to the states, all this goes away. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, I think it was a spiritual attack by the devil trying to get us to quit and to leave the field because he doesn't want us there. No, you know. And so, if he can if he can get me to leave, then he's accomplished his his mission to get us out of there. So. Um, that was the hardest thing. One of the hardest things that I, that I went through on that first term. Well, I sure do appreciate your willingness to share that with us. It is a very, um, unnerving feeling. Uh, we pride ourselves in our sufficiency, our self-sufficiency and, uh, our toughness and our strength and Mm -hmm. to feel that slipping away and to feel like you're losing control. Yeah. Uh, it's a scary thing that a lot of people have to face. Sure. And uh, I'm grateful that you were willing to share that with us. Yeah. Uh, last question for you. As you look ahead to the next term, you've talked a little bit about what y'all's plans are, your future endeavors. Uh, what insights or advice would you offer to other missionaries or other individuals? Uh, a lot of the people that listen to this are church members, and maybe some of them are considering missionary service in the Philippines or in another field. Uh, how would you how would you counsel them about yeah. how to take that next step? Or yeah. Well, you know, it's scary, obviously, to to move, if you especially have a family, to move halfway around the world. But like I said, the Lord takes care of all that. And so you really just got to learn to trust the Lord. But my 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 advice to a new missionary was go find an, a veteran missionary in that field and start communicating with them. Email them. Start start asking them questions. How much money do you need to, to survive over there? What are some things that you can start doing now to prepare yourself to go to the field, like learning the language or whatever. Um, and then when you get there, I, I firmly believe in working with a veteran missionary for that first term or whether it be a year or two years, whatever that may be, because several reasons why. Firstly, you have to adjust. And, and when you go to a certain place by yourself, and I'm not saying it's impossible. There's many missionaries who have done this, but, that first year or two is is really the hardest part because you've said goodbye to your family, you've said goodbye to friends. You're going to a place you have no you you know nobody, right? Except for maybe that missionary, and so that missionary can can help you get adjust, help you get what you need, kind of show you the ropes. Hey, this is where we go grocery shopping. This is where we buy our meat because don't don't go to these other places because you'll get sick. This is where, so just the practical things of, of, um, of grocery shopping or doing your laundry or, or whatever it may be, having somebody who's been there, who understands what you're going through can really be a big help in helping you to adjust to that culture, adjust to the language. And, uh, secondly, 
a lot of times as missionaries, we, we want, we've been on deputation for so long. And when we get there, we want to start immediately, but you can't, you can't do that. You really have to make sure your family is adjusted. And so that was the big encouragement for me was when I go there, when we go there, don't feel the pressure that when you're writing your prayer letters that oh, I got to tell them how many people got saved and all this stuff because they're expecting me to No, that first term focus on your family. Make sure your wife's doing okay. Because if you lose your family, you lose your ministry. That's right. You know, if your wife can adjust to the to the to the culture and she wants to go back home, guess what? You're going back home. Yeah. So, um a lot of times even even for me it was a little bit more difficult because uh I know the language already. I know the culture. And so it wasn't as big as a shock or or uh, hard to adjust back into that because I knew what to expect, but for my wife, she only went there like uh, the first trip we took, I took her was two weeks, and then and then we went during their internship for three months, which was a huge help to her. Um, and so she knew kind of what to expect, but moving there for a certain amount of time is different than moving there like this is where we're going to live, yeah. right? So focus on your family, focus on helping them to adjust, focus on on being with that missionary, and that way you can still be a part of the ministry, but it's not all on you, right? You can just help your family adjust to that. You help your wife get everything situated, get furnish your house, get the appliances that you need. And and each country is different. Like we're blessed that we could we could buy everything that in the little town we're in. But if you're in you know in a village in Africa or wherever it may be, you might have to go several hours to get those things. And 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 you don't even know where to go. So having that missionary with you, that first term kind of takes the pressure off of you. And it just helps you to focus on your family and still be involved in, in that missionary's um, um, church and his ministry. So those would be the top things. Of course, you got to take care of your family. Um, we were advised not to purchase a vehicle for the first two years so we can be immersed in the culture, which I, I think is is good So you because the, the mindset is, well, if you get a vehicle, then you can kind of cocoon yourself. And then you don't get immersed, and I I get that. But at the flip side, you got to take care of your family, and if that means you have to get a vehicle so you can drive to the doctor, you got to do that, you know. And so your your family is your your first ministry. That's your first priority, and so take care of them. And I believe if you take care of them, then you can also take you know then you can have a longer ministry in, in the place that you're at. So that that's my advice that I would give. Man, I, I sure do appreciate uh, everything that you've had to share with us, and uh, I think this is a very helpful conversation, whether someone's listening that's a church member or maybe there's other missionaries that are listening and can relate to the things that you're sharing. Uh, thank you so much yeah. for being willing to come on and, and talk to us here today, and we look forward to seeing what God's going to continue to do uh, through your ministry there in the Philippines. Well, I appreciate it. It's been, been fun. It's, it's been, been fun. good. Thank you. Thanks. And that concludes another enriching episode of Tabernacle Talks. We hope you found inspiration and encouragement through our conversation today. Before we go, we want to extend our gratitude to our wonderful guest, who generously shared their story and insight. Your voice has truly enriched our community. We also want to express our deepest appreciation to the members of the Collinsville Baptist Tabernacle, your continued support and engagement make this podcast possible. Remember, 
The conversation doesn't end here. Stay connected with us throughout the week. Connect with us on social media. Join us in our Facebook groups and let us continue to grow together in our faith. If you enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to subscribe to Tabernacle Talks on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an opportunity to delve deeper into our shared journey. As we part ways for now, remember that you are an integral part of our church family. Let your light shine brightly in your community, spreading love, compassion, and the message of the gospel.